0: Greetings Earthlings Reminder to uh, those of you who are paid subscribers: We're doing the book club this Saturday at 10 a.m. Mountain Time. <clears throat> Check your inbox, your spam folder, wherever I just sent out the Zoom link. This uh, this round, this go around, we read uh, or are reading "The Long Goodbye" by Raymond Chandler. I'm about two thirds of the way into it. I've never read Raymond Chandler before. Although I've heard, uh, you know, he's been on the radar screen forever. And uh, it's interesting. It's, uh, it's like a time capsule. There's a particular kind of vibe. This uh, world-weary post-World War II, California, um, hard-drinking, sort of masculine, but also strangely passive. Uh, it's, it's really interesting. Uh, I've, I've, I don't read a lot of detective. I don't know if I've ever read a detective novel. Um, so this, this genre, uh, the energy, the, the writing style, everything's strangely familiar because, you know, so many movies have been made in this style, you know, Chinatown, for example, is one of my favorite movies. Um, You know, sort of a Humphrey Bogart energy. Uh, But anyway, so uh, that's a a little bonus thing for paying subscribers. Uh, What's going on? This episode is, um, this is with a cool guy, Rich Ayers, uh, is one of these episodes that just popped up out of nowhere. I think Anya told me, hey, there's this guy uh, she saw on Facebook or something who's uh, traveling through. He's a muralist, and he just sort of travels around the country and paints murals. And I thought, well, that's a cool way to get around and uh, see the country and practice your art. And um, anyway, so I got in touch with him, and uh, he came, came into Crestone. He was Camping somewhere near here, and uh, we sat down and did this interview, and it was uh, it was great. He's a cool guy. He's, you know, he's very artistic, very creative, um, and you can see, you'll hear it in his voice and, and his spirit. And uh, so he sat there with his dog in his, in his uh, little backpack. What do you call a backpack when you wear it on the front, a chest pack? I don't know. Anyway, the little dog just was very chill and hung out and uh, listened to us talk for an hour or so. And uh, and it was great. It, very interesting. And I um, I apologize to Rich because I said I'd get this up right away and then a bunch of shit came up and it's been a few days. And uh, But I did want to get it up. I kind of bumped everybody else back. I've got a bunch of uh, really... Good conversations in the can, but I wanted to get this up right away because um, Rich could use uh, some work. So, if anybody out there is in this part of the country, anywhere in the Rocky Mountains, Southwest, and uh, you're interested in uh, maybe getting a, a mural painted, uh, I hope you'll reach out to Rich. You can check out his work at richairs.art. That's rich A Y. E-R-S dot art, and uh, you'll see what he's up to. Anyway, before I get into this conversation, I thought I would say a few words about RFK Jr., because uh, that seems to be the topic of the week, and a lot of people are have been reaching out to me and saying, what do you think about this, and you know, have you uh, heard the, the conversation on Rogan and all this? Um, I think it's, you know, like so many things that are happening in this culture, I think the issue for me is more about the response than it is whatever the particular personality or event is. Um, You know, it's, it's as if American culture is suffering from autoimmune disease. And so, you know, something happens and the reaction is so over the top that the reaction itself is the threat to the health of the democracy or of you know the, the political system or, or whatever, the, the viability or the respectability of the institution, the credibility of the institution, I guess is the word I was looking for. So as an example of that, I mean, I listen to the conversation. I, I've listened to it over the last few days. And um, I got to say, you know, there's some things I agree with, some things I don't agree with, some things I think are kind of silly and and um, misinformed. But it's a three-hour conversation, and I can't imagine a three-hour conversation between any two people where i wouldn't have that range of responses Um, and i think that overall rfk jr came across to me as a pretty reasonable um pretty uh, down to earth given What kind of life he's led, you know, ranging from being in the room when his father is murdered um, as a 14-year-old, you know, to just being a Kennedy, uh, to being in the center of the total shitstorm that it must be um, to be this guy, right? To be so famous, uh, have your ass kissed constantly. Um, you know, you're famous just for being famous. You're, you're, you're a Kennedy, you know, a fucking Kennedy. I mean, um, that's way bigger than being a Kardashian. <laughs> I mean, come on. Uh, but, you know, given all that, he came across to me as a reasonable guy having a conversation uh, and open to being corrected, open to being challenged, um, some humility. Now, <clears throat> that does not mean I agree with him on vaccines, for example. He seems to think all vaccines are at best useless, at worst um, cause autism and autoimmune disease and all sorts of other things. Uh, My own position on this, which is a, you know, of a lay person, I'm not an expert, Uh, but it seems to me that there are some legitimate critiques of the fact that, you know, when I was a kid, the standard protocol was, I think, you know, four or five vaccines, um, smallpox, polio, whatever it was, and now kids are getting 70 or 80 vaccines. And there's something to be said about that. Um, There's something to be said about the fact, not the theory, the fact that the FDA receives a significant amount of funding from fees that are paid by pharmaceutical companies to the FDA. So the FDA is funded, I think it's over half, their operating budget, comes from the very corporate entities they are supposed to be regulating. Now, if the referee's salary is paid directly by the players, that's going to affect the way the referee calls the game. Right? Some players... Pay more money to the referees? Well, they're probably going to get fewer fouls called on them, right? Some teams pay the referees really well. The big teams, the Lakers, you know, pay the referees a lot of money. And the Denver Nuggets don't pay much because they're from Denver and they don't have as much money as the L.A. Lakers. And so the calls are going to go against the Nuggets. That would be the way it works. Everybody knows You know, nobody proposes that the referees get paid by the players uh, because that corrupts the neutrality of the referee. So why in the pharmaceutical industry and in many other industries in the United States are the people that are supposed to be in an oppositional relationship with the regulators paying the fucking salaries of the regulators? And that's not even counting the fact that's not even considering the fact that these regulators work for the government for a few years, and then they leave their posts in the government. And who hires them? Pharmaceutical companies. At many multiples of whatever they were making when they worked for the FDA. It's totally corrupt. So you're working for the FDA. You're making 125 grand a year. You're regulating these companies, Pfizer. You're you're going out to dinner with Pfizer. Representatives, And one of these representatives says, uh, hey, um, you know, you're going to be retiring from the FDA in a couple of years. So we'd, we'd like to talk about offering you a position with us starting in 2025 at $1.8 million starting out. Um, you know, you could sign the contract now, even though you're not going to start working for a few years. How do you think that's going to affect the behavior of the regulator? So this is the state of affairs. This is how it is. And for JF or RFK Jr. to call attention to this, um, I think is a great public service. Now, is he wrong about other things? Well, I don't think, you know, he said at one point in the conversation that Wi-Fi crosses the blood brain barrier. And to his credit, Rogan was like, "What? Wi-Fi? Are you sure? What are you talking You talking about cell phone, you know, transmitter radiation? No, no, Wi-Fi. Wi-Fi. Okay. Well, I don't understand what that sentence even means. The blood-brain barrier refers to uh a membrane around the brain that is very Mm, uh, sort of selective of what aspects uh, what chemicals in the blood enter the brain. It's, it's like a, you know, a high security vault um, where not just anything that's in the blood goes into the brain because the brain is very delicate, obviously. And so there's this protective system around the, the brain. So, you know, alcohol, for example, crosses the blood-brain barrier, but other drugs you could take the drug and and you have no effect whatsoever because it hasn't crossed that um, barrier. No psychological effect. Um, so that's a chemical issue. How a uh, radiation crosses a blood brain barrier makes no sense to me it it's it's a different a totally different realm so to me that just sounded like misinformed poppycock um and you know does he have a tendency to do that yes probably a lot of people do these days and does that disqualify him from being taken seriously as a presidential contender yeah probably it does uh to me But the problem is, as I said earlier, not the thing itself, it's the response. And so we have uh, an example of this in the Washington Post a couple of days after that conversation, a column by Eugene Robinson. Now, Eugene Robinson normally strikes me as smart, pretty progressive, not like AOC-level progressive, but definitely left-center, pretty fair-minded, um, so someone I generally enjoy reading. This is an exception. This this uh, column is called, the title is, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. Sounds Like a MAGA Republican 2024 Hopeful. Okay, so now he the, normally the, the writer doesn't write the headline, so I'm not going to hold him responsible for that. But he says, if Robert F. Kennedy Jr.'s name were Robert F. Smith Jr., he would be written off as an anti vaccine nut job. Uh, and if anyone actually looks into him, they will see that he is, I'm paraphrasing here, an, an anti vaccine nut job. Okay, so nut job, total dismissal, right? He's a nut job. He's an anti vaccine nut job. So immediately in that first paragraph, you've thrown a lot of babies out with the bathwater. You're totally dismissing that there's any legitimate doubt or critique that we could make about what's happening with vaccine policy. Why has it gone from four or five to 60 or 70 or whatever it is now that they're giving kids in the last 50 years? Could it be because pharmaceutical companies see this as a way to extract money from the government, that they say, "Oh, okay, we develop these vaccines, and then you mandate them, and then you pay us this out of the federal budget, and you know we take care of you after you retire." Could is that possible that that's what's going on to some extent? Of course it is. A fucking course it is. But no, we're going to just dismiss everything the entire package and say there is no critique of the vaccine situation that's legitimate so we're not even going to talk about it and anyone who raises any kind of critique is a nut job an anti-vaxxer nut job right uh let's see a little further down yeah The problem comes when Kennedy opens his mouth and reveals that he lives in a make-believe world of paranoid conspiracy theories. Okay, again, total fucking disrespectful dismissal. Continuing, his most dangerous notion is that life-saving vaccines are a menace. Life-saving vaccines, not just vaccines, right? You got to slip in life-saving by the way, Eugene Robinson is not a doctor, so he's no more qualified to comment on this than you or me. Uh, continuing the quote. So his most dangerous notion is that life-saving vaccines are a menace, that childhood vaccines cause autism, and coronavirus vaccines are harmful. He is absolutely wrong. Uh, what's the line in from Hamlet. Methinks thou dost protestest too much, or something like that. Uh, In other words, your absolute certainty and vehemence about this issue suggests hmm, that there's more to it than you're saying. I looked into the the original uh, research where the British doctor, I forget his name right now, but he... He didn't even say that vaccines caused autism. He said he was noticing a correlation between severe autism and uh, the onset of severe autism in some kids who had recently had this battery of vaccines. He simply raised the question. He asked the question, which you would think would be legitimate and welcome in science, but not if you're questioning this massive financial power. It reminds me of what happens when people like Roger Waters criticize Israeli policy concerning the Palestinians. Immediately, you trigger this massive... Onslaught of a very well orchestrated interests who label you an anti-Semite. Now Roger Waters is not an anti-Semite. Roger Waters, for those of you who don't know, he's Pink Floyd, wrote all the you know the Wall and all this stuff. Roger Waters is a peace activist. He's an extremely progressive, environmentally aware, uh, you know, force for good in the world. And he feels that the way the Israelis are treating the Palestinians is fucking unfair and verges on genocidal. That's true. That is simply true. And it doesn't make you an anti-Semite. To note that, there are millions of Israelis who think the way their government treats the Palestinians is unsustainable and unfair and cruel. Are they anti-Semites? Fuck no, they're fucking Israelis. But if you're not an Israeli, you get labeled anti-Semite because you dare to raise the question. You dare to say, hey, there are some legitimate questions about this. Well, it's the same thing with the pharmaceutical thing you know, you raise a question, oh, is it possible that maybe kids are getting too many, too many vaccines? Is it possible that maybe the regulatory system is corrupted by the massive power of the pharmaceutical industry? Well, the minute you raise that question, you're a fucking nut job. You're an anti-vaccine nut job. Eugene goes on, Eugene Robinson goes on, uh, he says, uh, you know, he he refers to Joe Rogan, He says Kennedy, um, you know, did the podcast this month with right-wing loudmouth Joe Rogan. Now, Joe Rogan, I disagree with Joe on a bunch of shit, uh, but Joe Rogan is not a right-wing loudmouth. And the reason Joe Rogan is one of the most powerful forces in media in the country right now is because he's not a right-wing loudmouth. He's a reasonable sort of representative of your average guy who gets to sit down with these extraordinary people and have conversations, whether it's fucking Elon Musk or, you know, whomever it is or Dave Chappelle or whatever. And it it gives you an insight into what it's like to just sit and hang out and maybe get high and maybe have a drink or whatever it is and talk with these guys for a couple of hours or women. That's why he's so popular. And so for, you know, Mr. Washington Post editorial writer or columnist to call him a right wing loudmouth is not only illegitimate, it's fucking stupid. And It's engaging in the very behavior that has people turning away from outlets like the Washington Post or the CDC or the FDA. This dismissal, this this, um, assertion that you can't question us, you can't question our legitimacy or our intentions or our, you know, perfection. Uh, it, and if you do, you're engaging in dangerous misinformation. Robinson even, you know, even goes on to say that when Kennedy Jr., because uh, Joe asked him like, hey, are you at all worried about, you know, your own safety? Because you're going up against some pretty major interests. Um, And um, they talked about, the death of his father and his uncle, Bobby Kennedy and John F. Kennedy and he said, uh, Kennedy said, you know, I think maybe the CIA he he sort of outlines the situation where Kennedy did not want to engage in these foreign wars and Shortly after he said no to the invasion of, Ca- of Cuba and he, he signed the order to bring U.S. advisors back from Vietnam, he was assassinated, thus implying that maybe part of the military industrial complex uh, saw him interfering with the, their business which is to blow shit up overseas so that more bombs and more airplanes and more helicopters and more rifles and all that shit need to be manufactured. And who pays for that? Well, the American taxpayer. And who gets it? These people who run Raytheon and General Electric and the rest of the weapons manufacturing industry. Um, That's true. Okay. The military industrial complex is a real thing. Eisenhower spoke about it when he left the presidency in one of the most famous presidential speeches ever. I encourage you to look it up. Uh, You know, it hasn't been disappeared from from history as of yet, but it may well be at some point. And he said, basically, uh, you know, there's so much money being made on war that I fear that this industry will take over the government and war will not be waged because it's in the interests of the United States. War will be waged because it's in the interests of this industry. And look around. What country is always at war? Us. And what are we fighting about? Who the fuck knows? Who the fuck cares? They make shit up. When we invaded Iran, Oh, or not Iran, Iraq. Oh, it's because they had weapons of mass destruction. Well, oops, turns out they didn't. Well, who gives a shit? We're already in. Let's blow shit up. Uh, oh, 9-11, a couple planes flew into some buildings. So we're going to go invade Iraq. Okay, wait, these were Saudis. And the organization that did this is based in Pakistan. Maybe they've got some camps in Afghanistan. We're not sure. But we're going to invade Iraq. Oh, yeah. And let's, let's, we'll invade Afghanistan too. Why not? What's been accomplished? Absolutely nothing except huge transfers of money from the federal government to this industry. And Kennedy dares to say, well, you know, some of this is going on in Ukraine as well. People are making a lot of money on this war. And that might piss you off. You might say, yeah, but Putin is evil. And okay, he's evil. Sure. There's lots of evil in the world. Um, And I'm not saying that the United States should not be supporting the Ukrainians. What I'm saying is that we need to be grownups and we need to look at situations, whether it's vaccines or it's assassinations of presidents or presidential contenders, or it's war. And we need to say, who's making money, follow the fucking money. And when people are getting ridiculed for daring to question the power base that tells you that they're getting close to something so that's my opinion on the situation with RFK i think as i said i agree with some things i disagree with some things and you'll hear in this conversation uh with rich there's some things he says that i think are true there's some things i think that he says are overstated i don't think i haven't seen any evidence for example that psychedelics can cure cancer Um, I think that psychedelics are getting overhyped. And I think that, uh, you know, we need to be careful about that. And so we get into that conversation. Anyway, that's enough of me ranting and raving. I'm just going to go straight into the conversation with Rich. And I hope you enjoy this conversation. And I will be back with you soon. Take it easy out there. Okay. Okay. Yes, now we're recording. Uh, Is it Rich or Rick? Rich. Rich. Rich Rich Ayers? Ayers. Ayers. Yeah. All right, let me get the levels right here. Okay, I am sitting in Creston, Colorado with Rich Ayers and Louie. My dog. Louie the dog, who is extremely chill. I doubt we will hear anything from Louie during this conversation. (laughs) (laughs) He doesn't seem
1: like a barker.
0: Not, not really. He's pretty chill. He's he'll, looking at me, wondering who is this dude.
1: He'll give you a growl once in a while to let you know if he doesn't like something. Right. Yeah.
0: He seems pretty content right now in his uh,
1: little backpack. He's he's come a long way. He, uh, you know, he was a, a rescue dog, and I I think that the people that had him before kind of abused him, and hmm. um, yeah. So I, I've had to do a lot of rehabilitation with him, and. He wasn't always as as sweet as he currently is. <laughs> right.
0: How long have you had him?
1: I've had him for a couple of years now. And we've been on the road for a while now. Where did you start? Um, I'm originally from Detroit. Uh-huh. Grew up in the Detroit area. Um, and uh, when COVID happened around that time, I was on unemployment and... Um, in a relationship that wasn't working out. And I ended up in my car. And uh, I was in the area trying to, like, find a place to live and make that work and just decided that's not what I wanted. And uh, I had a friend who was like, dude, like, why don't you just go somewhere else and, like, travel with your art? And I was like, I'm kind of scared, you know, like. Yeah. And he told me that uh, everything you ever wanted lies directly on the other side of comfort. (laughs) and uh
0: everything he, you've ever wanted lies on the other side of comfort yeah meaning you need to get through get beyond comfort yeah. to get what you need what you want yeah you have right. to just
1: kind of uh you have to kind of deal with a little bit of uncomfortability in order to get to what you really want um and he was right man tell me about this guy who who was he sounds uh, it's my friend josh mann from detroit josh is awesome he's a community figure and uh he he started a a graffiti park in detroit he's with his own money on his own property and it's like a public space now anyone can just come he he originally had people building uh he had the walls there that like backed up to the train tracks and so for years you know all these artists would come and and paint the walls and so he built more walls with his own money Mm. and then it turned into a big thing and we came together um, and did like a an online auction thing, where all of the local artists donated our work, and um, we raised more money for more walls. And it's just this huge thing. And he's also uh, he just does a lot of cool stuff in the in the community, man. And he's he's very well respected. Right. He's someone I would actually like to paint a portrait of. I've been looking for a, um, a nice wall for that, actually. Right. Yeah. How old is he? Um, he's a few years older than me. I'm not sure of his age, but he's he's just a cool dude. He's like, you know, this old hippie dude who's traveled with the Grateful Dead, and he's lived a cool life. He's done all kinds of rad stuff. Hmm. Cool. Yeah,
0: he sounds like an interesting guy. Uh, rich Man is his name. Josh Man. Josh Josh Man. <laughs> you're, you're rich. I'm okay. rich, yeah. I was just thinking Rich Man would be a pretty funny name for it.
1: So from there, I um I ended up going to Asheville. Was one of the first places I started off in, and I hung out in Asheville in the, the uh you know the Foundy Street area there. I don't know if you're, no, you've I've ever been, been there. No, I've been to Asheville. Asheville's really cool, man. It has a it good is. vibe, yeah. Cool energy. Um, there's a lot of cool people there. A lot of really great artists mm. and a good like street art scene, which is something that very much appeals to me um and that's kind of like part of the tourist attraction of the place right so there's like just this whole river arts district where you go and there's restaurants and bars and coffee shops and stuff and um, there's graffiti and street art everywhere and you're Mm. free to just like go and do your thing right and so i kind of hung out and i sort of lived in that area there and would park there at night and uh during the day just acted as though it was my job and um, gave myself assignments and painted different things and posted them online and raised more awareness and got some attention um, I had this this awesome dude who, uh, who runs thechartguys.com his name is Dan and uh, Dan was very kind and hired me to do a mural in like the whole entryway of his house like the entryway and his living room and <laughs> And the guy loved my work so much that he he would not give me any direction, and I like begged him to give me direction mm. and he's like, "No, man, just do your thing. I want you to just do what what right. comes to you right and uh I ended up like painting all kinds of mushrooms and uh, flowers, and I had like a big moth landing on um more flowers, and it was just like this big like uh, magical sort of um, all encompassing thing that you just kind of step into and immerse yourself in this world of mine and mm. I had never had that sort of opportunity, and that was really cool and that kind of set off my my career here and um a lot of people became interested in what I was doing from that and uh, i'm very thankful for that opportunity yeah yeah that's awesome so
0: before we, we, we move too much further, just like, uh, just to flesh out a bit like what life was like in Detroit before you, you were in a relationship, and, and that was kind of... I mean, the reason... I, I don't want to like pry into your personal life. That's fine. I'm know? an open book. Um, the reason I'm, I'm asking is I, I think a lot of people who listen to this podcast, either they themselves or someone they know, hits a wall right like you come to a place in life where it's like fuck this isn't working whether it's a relationship or a job or the town you know that you're living in just it feels like yeah, i got to do something but then the question is well what the fuck do i do and that's almost like a second wall you know and i think a lot of people get stuck at that point that crossroads where they don't know what step to take how did you you know, you got that really good advice, like, okay, you gotta like give up comfort. You gotta, you gotta push through what you're f- afraid of, or you know, or or what you're rebelling against on, on a, you know, comfortable a comfort level or a psychological. Level. But how did you know what step to take next?
1: It, it was kind of honestly like a logical, uh, natural sort of pro- progression for me.
0: You were already doing art, I imagine. Oh, yeah.
1: I've, I've, you know, I've been working with spray paint since, like, um, early 2000s. Were you making a living doing that, or was that a side gig? Um, well, I was doing graffiti first with it and painting my name, my graffiti name. And, uh, you know, people... I was able to get di- different jobs for that. But they were, like, very specific, you know. It's like people just do graffiti. And... Once I got more skills and, and branched out, I went and did like a tattoo apprenticeship. Um, and I, I did all sorts of other mediums and worked in different creative fields professionally for a while. So it was just kind of like a natural progression into that. Right. And I knew that I wanted to travel with my art. Um, I just didn't know how to make that right. happen. Right. And then this was just kind of like my opportunity. And then you know I was a bit scared and just like nervous about it. But I was also coming out of this relationship that was... Uh, It was very difficult, but, um, How long had you been in that relationship? uh, Only a couple of years, but it was a very intense relationship because, um, I have Lyme disease, Mm -hmm. um, and she also has Lyme disease. And that's how we met. She's like a healer, a a medicine woman. And we did a lot of healing together and working together, but ultimately it just didn't work out. We wanted different things. And, um, it was tough, though. Uh, so, you know... To be honest with you, much of my life has been very tumultu- tumultuous. <laughs> uh, and I do have CPTSD. And so, you know, that contributed a lot to me to wanting me. to live in my car and what travel. And CPTSD. CPTSD? CPTSD. So it's complex PTSD. It's just a form of it. It's basically like a... Um. A fancy way of saying i've lived a really fucked up life i've had a lot of right. a lot of shitty things happen to me and they've affected me unfortunately um and so i'm dealing with that and working through it and this has been kind of a healing journey in a way for me
0: i was gonna ask if if your art is
1: like what's the relationship between the trauma and the art i'm glad that you asked um before i got i was diagnosed with lyme disease um, life was a lot different, and you know things were kind of, kind of nice, but not at the same time. And I, what I was painting was just like all pretty pictures, a lot of like roses and stuff. And I wanted my I wanted my art to have more meaning, and to like give it to something greater than myself, um, some sort of cause. And, and it's kind of funny. It's like be careful what you wish for, right? Right. Um, so I was hit with the Lyme disease and it wiped me out and, uh, I couldn't figure out what was wrong with me at first. And that was a whole journey in, in and of itself. And, um, I had a friend at one point, like pretty, when I was in, in the throes of this sickness, he said, you know, mushrooms can help you, man. And I was like, what do you mean? And he was like, just Google it, you know, cause it was like. I didn't I, I at the time I thought that was kind of like a like a I didn't really like that as a response, but I understand now that it was just so overwhelming of a of a question that I just had to google it because I went down this rabbit hole and I'm still going down it, and uh I'm just fascinated by mushrooms now and what they can do not only for healing sickness but just changing the world man so you felt in your own experience that
0: um, psychedelic mushrooms help with the Lyme disease or the PTSD
1: or both? Or- All of the above. Um, so there's mushrooms that can that can help to you know heal you if you, you're sick, you have anything from cancer, to just whatever. Um, they have med- amazing medicinal properties. And then there's mushrooms that can help you mentally as well. Um, Lion's mane is one of them. Mm-hmm. It helped me with like the uh, there's like brain fog that's heavily associated with Lyme disease. Right. I forget things. I get fuzzy. I forget all sorts of stuff. There was one point where I, uh, I was in a place where I was, I was going to actually meet with my therapist and because I thought I was going crazy <laughs> and I was on my way to the meeting and I got lost and it was in a neighborhood I had been to a million times and mm. very familiar with. Um, so yeah, that, that definitely helped with it. The lion's mane helped to, to kind of restore a lot of my cognitive ability and, you know, the, the medicinal or the magic mushrooms, the psilocybin, of course, those, uh, help with all sorts of emotional things and, uh, dealing with trauma and, and do you, you use them just by yourself or do you like
0: to have someone there to sort of to guide you or to just, um, you know, monitor, make sure you're okay. I mean, how, how deep do you like to go when you do
1: this? Um, you know, I've, I'm pretty, uh, experienced with them at this point and I've, I've used them in a variety of situations and settings and with different sort of, uh, dynamics, I guess you could say.
0: Right. It sounds like you're uh, careful and respectful.
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It it is medicine for me. It's not a party drug and it's kind of strange to me. Like, I I mean, I used, I used them as drugs when I was younger as a kid and I experimented a lot with acid. Um, but it, I think that a lot of my experiences with them caused me to have a greater respect for them.
0: Hmm. Got burned a few times, huh?
1: Yeah, a couple of times, you yeah. know. There was, like, and and it's funny, like, I've talked to other people, and these are some classic stories. Like, there was, like, the time I took it by myself and was, like, freaking out and then st- stood and looked in the mirror for a while, and that's, that's always a weird thing. <laughs> yeah. And then you feel weird about yourself yeah. after, and it's yeah. just, it's easy to get lost that way and go down a dark path. Yeah,
0: yeah, I've spent some hours looking and watching my face melt and, diving into my eyes and you know haven't done that in a long time but yeah, you know, when i was in my 20s that was something i i did a fair bit
1: yeah. i'm at a, i'm at a point now where um and i think a lot of this has to do with my lyme disease uh i can't really even take them so much uh the mushrooms especially or acid anything like psychedelic and that's really all i do i don't i'm not I don't I'm not into drugs. I'm very healthy and live a very natural sort of lifestyle for the most part. Um, but I found that anymore when I take mushrooms I, I just get lo- overloaded and it's it's weird. I feel sleepy and like drained mm. but I'm still like tripping balls and yeah. you just like wanna lay down and that's not fun. And people are like, yeah. you just need to take more. I'm like, nah, <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I think I think it was Alan Watts who was talking about this And he said, you know, when you've heard the message, hang up the phone
1: Yes, yep I
0: feel like that's something that's happened in my life The, the last, I mean, I've probably taken psychedelics close to 100 times, you know, yep. overall But the last few times, uh, I definitely was was feeling this kind of like um, you don't, you shouldn't be doing this now. Like you, you, it's like I don't need this. Well, it's, and yeah, I don't need it, and also, like it's not respectful. It, it's not. I, I felt like one image that came to me was that I was sitting, like in a seminar with a a really brilliant professor and I, and the professor said, you're welcome here, you know, as long as you want to be here, but you're taking up a space that someone else, you know, and interesting. And I just stayed and stayed and stayed. And each, each session I felt like I should give up this space to someone else. Like I got it. I I understand. I learned. And it's almost like, no, now you go out and do your sessions for other people. You know, like it was, a transition, and I was reluctant to to take that step because I had learned so much there and felt so enriched by that experience. Um, but yeah, definitely the last three, four times there was, I mean, it was an internal thing, and also just if you looked at the experience from an external, kind of like the things that happened, and I mean, I wandered onto the the grounds of a psychiatric hospital without knowing it, and i was i mean this is a long story I've told this on the podcast before, but um <laughs> turned, i mean that so it starts out I'm lying under this beautiful tree and just gazing up at the the branches and 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 feeling totally like at one with this tree, and I felt like I could feel the vibrations of the tree and i was and when I would bring my own vibrational energy into alignment with the trees vibrational energy i would like almost have like a brain orgasm Hmm. you know just this incredible energy resonance with you know like my entire body and and spirit was vibrating and all awesome anyway so it was amazing yeah i kept like bringing it into phase and then out of phase and into phase and out of phase. Cause it was like, I was afraid if I just kept it in phase too long, I'd like just burn out my synapses or something. It was so <laughs> intense. And then after, I don't know how long I decided like, okay, I got to get up and, and move around a little bit. And I got up and walked out from this tree and I heard this humming noise coming from the sky. And I look up and there are high tension power lines running right over the tree. Hmm. That I hadn't noticed when I went under it,
1: and you can hear them.
0: You can hear them, and so the vibration wasn't nature; it was fucking industry, you know. And and so then I that sent me into some kind of panic spiral. Weird shift in the yeah, (laughs) like I thought I was making love with nature, and it turns out I was being raped by fucking technology. Yeah, Yeah, it was pretty horrible. Yeah. So anyway, I'm not going to tell that whole story, but. It was definitely a situation where it was like, uh, dude, maybe you're getting like a message that it's time for you to move on from this, you know?
1: But. Yeah, I um I hear that a lot with people, especially with DMT. A mm. lot of, I've never taken DMT. Um, but I have a lot of friends that are always like, Man, anytime you want to blast off, just let me know. <laughs> and like, I don't know if I need that. But I've heard a lot of times, uh that the dmt gods or whatever these entities will if you're doing it too frequently they'll actually be like hey why are you here again man why do you keep coming here
0: (laughs) you need to chill (laughs) yeah you need to think about what we told you last time yeah yeah I, i i think it's important to have a balanced perspective on these things you know um the the whole idea of psychedelics, it, I think they're potentiated by respect. And like so many things in American culture, um, the respect gets left by the wayside, you know? And people talk about like, oh, you know, psychedelics will cure anything. And like, no, no, no they won't. not no. Certainly not without approaching them from a perspective of respect and reverence and, you know, with an open heart, like you can't just give Donald Trump some fucking mushrooms (laughs) and he's going to turn into Bernie Sanders. Like that's not how it works.
1: No, he might have some realizations, but it's not, it's not going to change him completely.
0: Yeah. And I just, I think you need to be open to realizations, right? Like, and that happens without drugs. That's, that's personality work that setting
1: an intention is huge for sure. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So you're, you know, I, I asked earlier about the connection between the work and your um, experiences and your trauma, and you were talking about how your work had been kind of roses
1: and happiness and flowers. Yeah, I guess I didn't elaborate. So now I I paint mostly mushrooms and psychedelic plants and um, medicinal plants and mushrooms. Uh, also, I've, as I've traveled, I've gotten into painting a lot of um native plants and things mm. and learning about you know all the different plants and flowers in different areas i'm very interested in botany and, and uh, mycology as ecology as a whole right um so you know going to different places and every, seeing everything is just completely different and like these plants don't look like your plants back in michigan right you know it's just fascinating and really fun and interesting and It's been cool to incorporate those into different things. And, um, I don't know. I'm, I'm very fascinated with magic and also, uh, anything paranormal, psychic, all of that stuff. I do feel like I possess some psychic ability. Um, and these are things I've been trying to, to build upon and work on. And one of the things that I do is a lot of times with my murals, um, I'll just talk to people and my clients, of course, and discuss just different things in their life or what's going on. And then um, I will intuitively just paint things. I come up with just a concept or I'm like, I just want to do this. This just feels right. And then I'll look it up later. And like the meanings and the deeper, you know, symbology of everything that I painted is directly directly relates to like what we had just talked about mm. um i don't know if that's like just a subconscious thing if i'm if I'm being kooky and saying that uh but it seems like there's something going on there, and it's fun to kind of play on this this sort of idea of uh magic and art together well yeah,
0: and I don't think it's kooky right it it's any art i think any real art. Is channeling something?
1: Oh yeah, I'm I'm an uh, just yeah I'm a conduit. Right,
0: exactly. You know whether it's music or writing or um, dance or you know or visual arts or whatever it is, I feel like the sort of low level is the person doing it. Like like that's you learn the techniques. You you know in in the case of writing, like Hemingway would would sit down and copy an entire novel from Faulkner or from you know Prost or or some author that he respected he would sit there and write by hand the entire novel just to get those patterns sort of into his DNA somehow you know and then the higher level is when you forget technique and you just channel You just let something flow through you, right? So I'm not a visual artist at all, but I don't think it's crazy to say that you talk to someone, you pick up their energy, and then images occur to you, right? I mean, that's the whole key to keep your subconscious open and just let stuff come in and flow through. So, yeah, that doesn't sound kooky to me at all. That sounds, like, fundamental,
1: you know? (laughs) Well, I appreciate that. I'm also a musician as well, so... Um, you know, being a conduit and allowing things to kind of flow through you is—it's not unfamiliar to me at all. Right. It's yeah. something it's I've the been same doing. I've been process. doing my whole life, pretty right. much. What do you play? Um, I started off on bass, uh-huh. the upright bass, and school oh, orchestra, right. and then I did like jazz band and marching band, drum line, and I picked up the electric bass and started playing in all these punk bands, indie bands, and right. Um, I guess the only band that uh really ever did much was uh this band called Empire Empire I Was a Lonely Estate it's got a really long name um they're just this emo band it's like midwestern emo band they're still a band and still making records and like touring and um uh, doing their thing but i just had to leave that and go on and pursue visual arts mm and what uh what bass players
0: do you admire
1: oh man um so many to to list but uh I guess like the the one that really comes to mind is Flea. I was, like he, I was yeah, he's always just been like huge to me. And he's so smart too. He, yeah, he's a great, just he's an amazing musician. Period. He also plays yeah. trumpet yeah. and all kinds of other right. stuff.
0: He's, he studied jazz trumpet, yeah. right? As yeah. So like, I I very yeah. much
1: relate to him in that respect. Where yeah. you know he has the jazz studies and and you know he's not just like a, a rock rock bassist. You know oh, he, he knows a little bit more. He's awesome,
0: I, and I, I also think. You know interviews I've seen with him and, and or listened to uh, recently. Uh, do you know who uh, Rick Rubin is? Oh yeah, of course. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. he has a podcast and he has Red Hot Chili Peppers on all the time.
1: Rick Rubin's wildly interesting to me. Um, yeah. You know he he's not really actually a musician himself, not at all. Yeah. Uh, that's yeah. He's just like <laughs> a great speaker thing. and he just like motivates people yeah. and, and I think that's brilliant.
0: Yeah, he says he says people hire me for my taste. Yeah. And it's like, imagine the balls you have to have to like <laughs> sit down with the Red Hot Chili Peppers and be like, you know what? Um, <laughs> I think we need to back off on the bass a little bit, there, flea. And yeah,
1: could you maybe not do that? Let's <laughs> yeah. do this instead. Yeah,
0: yeah. Let's try. Uh, okay, you know, John, maybe the guitar could be a little like, wow. You gotta really. I mean, but he's also. You know, I think they also pay him for his communication skills. So it's not, I, I imagine he's not overbearing or anything. He's more of like a guru. Yeah. 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 Do you know Daniel Lenoir? Not familiar. He's another amazing producer. He okay. produced um, uh, U2, uh, several of their albums, including Joshua Tree and oh. Peter Gabriel. Okay. So And... Uh, you know willie nelson and johnny cash and like you know just everybody okay kind of a rick rubin type yeah um, but he is a musician he's a great musician but he said something i was there's an interview i watched a couple of weeks ago with uh rick beato who's a friend of mine who's a, a producer and uh the multi-instrumentalist and just really cool guy anyway the, the two of them were talking and And Lenoir said, um, you know, people come to me and they're super talented and and they're like, should I go to Juilliard or should I, you know, go play, you know, in this band or should I do this or should I do that? And he said, "Ah, I I never know what to tell them. But I just say like, you know, my question is play me three notes that you love. Like that's all. Hmm. Are there three notes that you love? And he said if, If they don't know what I'm talking about, then I don't know what to tell them. But if they're like, oh, yeah, and they play, you know, three notes Mm -hmm. and he's like, "Okay, follow that. Uh Go with that, you know, and then he he sort of hums a little bit and he's like in your eyes, you know, and he he Um. helped Peter Gabriel write in your eyes, you know, and just this. I don't know that there. There's you mentioned Rick Rubin being kind of a mystic or a guru, yeah. And Dan, Daniel Lenoir has that quality as well. It's okay. like it's not. I don't care how well you play guitar. I don't care you mess up a note here. I don't. I don't care you're a little out of time. What I care is do you sense the magic of what you're doing? It's like the soul, right, at at the core of it all. Otherwise. Yeah.
1: Who cares? Absolutely.
0: Yeah. Because lots of people are great technical musicians. But if they're not feeling it, how can they make you feel it?
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah.
0: And I know it can be faked. I know when you're when you're that good, you can fake it. Um, you know, you can't go out, you're on tour, you can't go out every night and mean it.
1: I don't think. Um, I don't know. I think like once you, from my personal experience if you really find a, a connection with the songs, um, you're able to get back into those songs again and, like, feel that again. And it's just... Um, a lot of it, you can't really help it. Like, the music just kind of pulls you in mm-hmm. and you're taken for a ride.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I wondered, like, does Keith Richards still feel it when he's playing Satisfaction?
1: I think... Uh, I don't know. I, You know, when you're at that level and you've been playing those songs for that long, I think that you do lose touch with a lot of what they were written about. But at the end of the day, like, you're still on stage and you're still having a good time. And you're able to kind of, like, insert yourself into that Hmm. again. And maybe not the same level of emotion that you once had when you wrote that song. But um, you're able to, to like, feel the music. And also
0: for someone like that or Springsteen or, you know, someone who's been doing this stuff for so long, like there must also be a connection to your youth. Like there must just be like a, a very personal thing that happens as well. You know, like where you remember the first time you played the song or learning the chord sequences or whatever.
1: I think that when you tour with songs for a while, um, they kind of evolve and it just, just becomes more of a performance based thing. Mm. And it's almost like a like a game in a way like making it through the song you know that this part's coming and you're like i have to do this fill here or whatever or this solo and right. got to nail it you know what i mean right it's almost like guitar hero in a way
0: you ever heard of uh uh,
1: uh what's his name he's a bass
0: player from benin he played with um pat matheny uh, uh Oh, shit, now I'm forgetting his name. God damn it. He's a medical doctor. He's a really interesting guy. Very good bass player. Um, Anyway, I I was watching him and his band play in Barcelona one time. And uh, they were playing behind a cathedral, the main cathedral of Barcelona, in this little square. It's this beautiful square. It's actually the square where the king and queen met columbus when he was returning from his first voyage where he discovered america wow. quotes um and now it's like a, a you know kids hitting <laughs> soccer balls against the wall and you know smoking joints on the stairs it's, <laughs> i love barcelona for that like the history and the i would love to go there oh it's a great city i lived there 20 years um but anyway the he was playing a uh, richard bona think that's his name richard bona um his band's playing and it's it's this great gig and they're like kind of jazz jazz funk kind of fusion and right in the middle of a song the cathedral bells start ringing (laughs) and they kind of like all got confused and looked at each other and like oh shit this and they kind of stopped and they're laughing and the crowd's cheering and everybody's laughing And they kind of waited because it was like you know eight o'clock or something. So it rang eight times, and they waited. Okay, and then we're like, okay, let's start from the beginning. One, two, three, and they go back and they start the song from the beginning. And they're playing, and everyone forgets about it. And an hour later,
2: (laughs) right, (laughs) they're in the middle of
0: another song, and I don't know what time signature they're in or what what was going on. But the bell hit, and the whole band dropped into like a synchronized perfect accompaniment to the bell like they were so like they all heard it and they're like oh yeah okay here we go they they just rolled it was one of the coolest musical things i've ever seen
1: music's really cool like that man I, i remember being younger and playing when i played in jazz band i was with some really talented musicians back then and um some of the things that we would do like we would it was just so fun, like that. It had us laughing. Like, you ever, you ever like laughed at music just because of just the sheer, just this exactly. is awesome. This is great what we're doing right now. Or yeah. like, like I can't believe that we just are pulling this off.
0: Well, because it's one of those things. I'm not a musician, so I'm talking out my ass here. But I imagine it's one of those things where the sum becomes greater than. The whole is greater than the sum of its parts right oh absolutely So you're like we're all doing this but somehow it became bigger than the four of us or whatever
1: yeah and and especially with jazz because there's that you know um the improv aspect to it right where you know you're you're just like you're just syncopated and making this this music on the spot in the flow and doing starts and stops together and trying to even like mess each other up sometimes.
0: <laughs> to make it a little harder. Yeah, it's almost like a game. Yeah. Like
1: it's one of the things I really love to do with a drummer when I was playing bass. Right. Yeah.
0: How do you feel? Are you into Charlie Hayden?
1: I'm not familiar.
0: No, oh, he's a he's a great jazz um uh, bass player. He just died ten oh. years ago or maybe something like that. Yeah, I saw him play in New York once. Victor Wooten. Yeah. Yeah. I saw him in Barcelona. Holy shit. He was playing. He's in Bella Flex Band, the Flecktones. Bella Flex a banjo player. Okay. And Victor Wooten and his brother are both in the in the band. Nice. And uh, you know, you would think banjo, bluegrass, you know, super kind of white Appalachian music. These dudes are so funky. Huh. The whole, well, you know, Victor Wooten. Oh is, yeah. You know, the whole Wooten family. I think they're like five brothers or something. They're all.
1: He's a very different sort of style.
0: Yeah. Uh, the whole slapping, yeah. tapping, and plucking. Bootsy Collins is big. He was funkadelic. Bootsy Collins played with James Brown when he was like seventeen or something. And some people say he sort of started the slap and pluck kind of style with the electric bass. Okay. He got kicked out of James Brown, James Brown's band because he was uh, smoking weed, <laughs> and James would not let anyone in the band use any drugs except hmm. him. James was high, but nobody else could be high.
1: That's that's partly why yeah. I, I I left my band.
0: <laughs> really? Cuz you were getting high or uh
1: we had like a disagreement on tour and a lot of, it had to do with like weed would we came to the the was the basis of the disagreement and mm. it it was just a weird thing. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, with Bootsy, he he was like 19 when i think he was 17 when he started playing with james brown you know and james brown was already huge this was like 62 somewhere in there and um yeah so he gets kicked out of the band he's 19 and george clinton had, was familiar with his music and he, he invited him to join parliament funkadelic nice and you know he and those guys were taking acid, and you know, like their whole thing. I've
1: but... seen them before. Oh yeah, me too. Yeah, in, yeah. De- in Detroit. Yeah. yeah,
0: they're great. I mean, they're was did they have the mothership and that whole thing when you saw them?
1: Um, no, it was like they played at a, like a festival, mm-hmm. so it wasn't like their their thing. All you know? oh, right, but yeah. it was still fucking
0: cool. Yeah, yeah, they're awesome. And I mean, George Clinton's probably pushing eighty, <laughs> and that dude's like. A... You know, he was
1: a crack addict,
0: and you know, he's, I mean, he's he still like, he's got the, he's black, still got the he, crazy
1: colored hair and everything. <laughs>
0: he will not die. That's yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. He's cool. Um, anyway, so we, we veered off into, uh, into, uh,
1: music. Yeah. I'm, I'm trying to like bridge the, the music with my art. I've been doing like, um, making my own soundtracks to some of my, my reels and stuff on Instagram.
0: Right. Do you listen to music while you're painting, or does oh, that yeah. interfere?
1: Oh, yeah, for sure. I, I love listening to music while I'm painting. Yeah. And just, you know, put on headphones especially and get in the zone. Mm. If it's a safe space, you know, there's if I'm in a place where I know no one's going to disturb me. Right. Yeah.
0: You uh, you talked about this guy in, I guess it was in Asheville, who didn't want to give you any kind of guidance. yeah how do you know in his case you would have liked some guidance i guess like if he had said you know i'm more into this or that
1: yeah at that time
0: at that time at that time okay so where are you now like if somebody hires you and they say okay i want a you know mountain scene and i want it to reflect the history of this area
1: that's cool we can do that you're
0: into that sure okay
1: yeah um you know if you want if you have direction and stuff that's fine um, the price goes down if you're willing to just let me do my thing. If I you're see. like, I don't care, just, just paint the wall. Like, right. I'm like, cool, man, I'll give you right. an awesome deal. And how do you do that? You
0: just look at the size of the wall and the space and like, do I want to spend a week here or not? Like,
1: um, not really. I just kind of decide like what I want to paint on it and, and just do it. Whatever comes to me, you know, mm-hmm. I have all kinds of stuff in the bank ready to go. Right. Uh and so and a lot of it's kind of like building on ideas that I've already had and uh, expanding upon them, doing different things. Um, one of the things that I like to do is when I paint these mushrooms, sometimes I will hide a smoke bomb inside of the mushroom and, like, paint over it. And then once it's done, I'll light the smoke bomb off, and it looks like the mushroom's spreading spores everywhere. And I would videotape it, and right. it's a fun whole added element to it. Uh, beyond just you know a picture on a wall, right? Um, so yeah, things like that, I'm just expanding on ideas of what I've already done before. One of the things that I'm I'm currently um, want to start doing uh, a new idea that I have is I want to do like these like like um, like giant crystals, so it looks like a like a checkpoint or a save point or like a point of interest like kind of like in video games, you know? Mm. Um, and, you know, put those, just drop them in different places and in points of interest, like right. I was saying.
0: So you sort of pull people's attention in different parts of the of the work?
1: Um, no, what I mean is uh, like like geographically points of interest. So like um, in a if I would, like I'm a street artist. I, I originally did graffiti and whatnot. Sometimes I still do that. Like, I'll just go to cities and leave stuff there, mm. depending on the city. You know, I'm very respectful of of that. Uh, I'm not a vandal anymore. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, yeah, it's something like that I feel like would be fun to to come up on if you're, like, in an alleyway and it's, like, at the end of this alley in a cool place in a city or something. Oh,
0: I see what you mean. Yeah. Like a point of interest geo geographically, yeah. not in the work itself. Yeah, I see. so
1: just things like that and right. just expanding on different ideas and and uh, right.
0: Yeah. sort of playing on the distinction between the world, the sort of virtual world and the real world, making yeah. the wor- real world look a little like the virtual world.
1: I'm also, like I was saying, very interested in nature. So most of my work is nature-based right. um, and not just nature but like like the magic of nature. Mm. Like, um, like for example, like bioluminescence. Mm. You know, like just things that just make your mind just kind of go, hmm, or <laughs> yeah. like, wow. And, and yeah. as a kid, it's it's it almost seems magical, you know, and it's a yeah. very playful thing. It's very nostalgic for me to think of things like glow worms. It
0: fucking is bugs. magical. It is I magical. Mean, right? It's, yeah. I mean, Einstein said... You can look at the world either that nothing is magical or that everything is magical. You know, take your pick that neither one is more right than the other necessarily. But I mean, Jesus. And
1: that's just so fun for me. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Did you see the sky last night? Mm -hmm. Sunset, Uh, the, the crescent moon with Venus uh, it's the really interesting, beautiful configuration right now. Did not yeah. notice that. Notice tonight, like around sunset, it'll it'll be a little brighter, I guess. I'm not sure which way that goes. Um, but around sunset, it's super, if it's clear, which probably will be.
1: The sun was setting behind me last night where I was. Right.
0: So, this, yeah, it's near, it's in the same direction as the sunset. So, yeah, if you've got mountains blocking the sunset, you might not. Well, you'll see it higher up, but yeah, it's beautiful. Crestone's a special place in terms of natural music, uh, magic. Yes. The sky, the it's crystals. It's one of the draws here. The, you know, That's so why I've kind
1: of stayed around a bit, too.
0: Yeah, so what brought you here? Did you just hear about it? Or you have friends here? Or you got work here? or
1: what? Uh, well, you're not going to believe this, actually. Uh, GPT told me to come here. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> so you're just like...
1: Uh, well, this is
0: who I am. This is what I'm into. Where should I go?
1: Exactly. Yeah. Uh, so I I've been talking to ChatGPT. I created this this bot for like m- me as an artist in my career to serve as sort of a mentor and uh, something to bounce ideas off of, and mm-hmm. it's just really helpful. It's it's super fucking helpful. Yeah. And um, I came here to the Denver area. I had a a, a mural that was set up and. And it ended up just not working out and fizzled out, and I had to move on and find other things. So uh, in the meantime, I just was kind of exploring Colorado and roaming around. I went down to—I checked out the Black Canyon of the Gunnison. I went to Telluride. I went down to Durango. I was over in that way for a while. And
0: You know, the big mushroom festival in Telluride. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yep,
1: yep. I would love to go to that. But um, I, I have some other obligations this year around that time. Mm. But Telluride was amazing. This was the first time I'd ever been there. It was a really cool place. Yeah. with great energy. Yeah. Um, but you know, I I couldn't really get any murals there. It was it's a it's a historic place. So everywhere you went, there's just always red tape. Right. Um, they want murals. They love murals, but it's just not the place for them. Right. And that's okay. I respect that. Um, and so I I asked ChatGPT like, where do you think would be a good you know a viable option for me where I might have some more opportunities. And it was like, it told me to come up to Salida actually. And also to check out Crestone because you know, all the, the metaphysical aspect of it. Yeah. And I feel that I came here and I was like, this is a weird, cool place. And I like it. (laughs) It's
0: definitely a weird, cool place. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's interesting talking to people here how you how people get here because nobody's here by accident it's not on the way to anything
1: right it's it's you kind of have to yeah you have to like say it's out of the way i want to go to that place yeah check that out yeah i I didn't even realize like man rolling into the valley i didn't like i didn't know it was the largest mountain valley on earth yeah um but i kind of had a sense when i rolled in it was weird i was like this is a really fucking big valley and it was kind of foggy that day, hmm. um, and, and you so came up
0: from Durango. Yeah, you came up that way.
1: Yeah, and so you know, I didn't even realize that those were all mountains in the background. I thought those were clouds at first, and I was like, "Holy shit, those are mountains! What the fuck?" <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, the Sangre de Cristos, and you come in that T road. I don't know what time of day you came in, but if you come in the afternoon when the sun's behind you, the mountains are lit up, and man, the it's really hard to wrap your head around the, the sort of scale. It feels like you're driving into a movie set.
1: It's weird because it's so flat here. Yeah. And then there's just these massive mountains just out of nowhere.
0: And super sharp and, yeah. and direct and crazy. It's cool, yeah. man. Yeah, it's it's interesting here. Really, really interesting place. Uh, how long have you been on the road?
1: Since 2020... Uh... 2020 actually yeah so three years Yeah, three years now right and um you know i kind of stop in different places and i have some spots where like uh like i wouldn't call it home but it's like you know i have like a base right
0: um
1: like in memphis i have a a friend there with my friend karen who she puts on paint memphis festival Mm. or was the person who originally did and um i met her through that and she lets me kind of like stay in her fenced-in backyard there whenever I'm in town right. and plug in and.
2: And
0: you're and pretty rest. self-sufficient. You got your it's a really nice jeep. You got a rooftop tent. You it's got, all got your hound dog.
1: Yeah, I try to be very independent, so I don't have to rely on anyone, and which is a trauma response. But that's okay.
0: I don't know. I mean, I'm the same way. I I, I don't attribute it to trauma. I, I just think, you know, like yesterday I was talking to somebody and he said, yeah, next time you're in this part of the country, you know, I got a guest room and, you know, you should come and stay. And I said, dude, all I need is a spot in your driveway. Same. yeah. And I said, are- as, as long as you don't mind me pissing in your yard <laughs> at night. <laughs> they always
1: try to get me to come in. I'm like, no, that's cool.
0: Yeah, yeah. I'm happy here. I mean, once he- you you know like that when i'm cruising around in the van that's my house i'm super that i love that bed i know where my shit is it's like yeah people think no you'd be more comfortable in a bed you've never slept in it's like no no i'm more comfortable in my bed yeah you know?
1: the attitudes around the, just the lifestyle in general are interesting like um i have to like, remind people like you know i'm not i'm not homeless right, right. like this is a choice Right. This is a lifestyle. Like I choose this. I don't wanna yeah. live in a house.
0: And that's a suite I mean, that's a nice car. It you're you're not driving around in a you know,
1: comfortable, yeah.
0: Old Jalopy or something. No. Although with the rooftop tent you can't really stealth camp.
1: Yeah, see I was sleeping in the back before. I right. had um I'd taken out the back seats. Oh, I still have the back seats out, um, but I built like a, a platform in there and I was sleeping in the back like next to all of my stuff and it was uncomfortable and tough and I had to do like a whole bunch of moving stuff around every time to go from like drive mode to sleep mode. Um, But I did get to stay in a lot of really stealth spots and get away with, you know, shit that maybe I shouldn't have been able to do. But, um, you know, I've traded that, that stealth for some comfort and I'm okay with that. I don't mind, you know, travelling a little extra ways just to go find a spot now. You're right. Sometimes it, it is very stressful where you're like, you've already gone you went an hour to get to this spot, it didn't work out, now you gotta go like another hour to go to the and next the spot. Sun's going that down. one didn't work out. Yeah, it's yeah. getting dark now and you yeah. can't really see. Yeah. And that gets really difficult and stressful um and on those nights i I sometimes question what I'm doing, but <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah, me too that's it, it's a funny thing I mean in the van, we can stealth camp, I mean, depending how much stuff we got, if we got bikes strapped to the front and all that, then it's a little different, but um we got the sort of blackout curtains and stuff, so
1: I have no space in the back now there's I would have to sleep in the front if I wanted to try to do a stealth camp, which I've done before in a pinch. But it's, you know, it all pays off when you have spots like I had last night Mm. where you're like, I have this beautiful, just mountain valley view and I'm sitting up on like the edge of a bluff and it's just awesome. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah. That's cool. Uh, so where are you going from here? Do you do you have do you plan? I mean I guess you said you got something happening during the mushroom festival or whatever. Yeah. Or do you just ask ChatGPT like, <laughs> uh, "Where should I go now?"
1: I try to plan things as much as possible and uh you know, build up a a schedule, but I'm still pretty early in my career uh and trying to make things work. I don't have a ton of clients. Um and I don't always get as many opportunities as i would like so a lot of the work that i do comes through just social media Mm. and like i'll go to a place and then i'll post on the regional facebook groups like hey i'm this guy who does this thing you know let's connect and that's how i get most of my my business and connections but i think that's how i heard of you
0: Uh, anya my partner saw something on salida some salida group
1: Okay, yeah. And,
0: and she was like, oh, this guy seems cool. You should uh, check this out. And she sent me your uh, Instagram.
1: Yeah, I just kind of go where things <laughs> take me for the most part. Um, last year, I was very fruitful coming here to Colorado, and that's why I came back. Um, I had no shortage of work and was even like turning people down and just picking and choosing what I wanted right. to do. So came back and wasn't quite the same experience this year. Um, I literally can't get anything to come together for me right now money's starting to get tight and i'm almost stuck here now to the point where mm. like i'd have to make it work right but i've been in this situation before and i always come out on top and i always just have faith that things will work out and they do and which is ridiculous and absolutely crazy um, and most people would think, like, that's really fucking insane way to live your life, dude. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? That's the way humans have lived their lives
0: since the beginning of time, right? Like, yeah. Until farming. Yeah. It's like, we'll find food when we get there. It's nomadic, it's following energy, following hunches, whatever you want to call it, utilizing resources, and. And when there's when there's less you you just don't eat much. And yeah. when there's more, you chow down and have a feast and oh, yeah. that's that's the natural you know, now we've got all this stuff that's meant to replicate that. Like people are doing fasting and you know, like <laughs> intermittent fasting is like, okay, that's the modern equivalent of hunter gatherers not finding food that day, you know?
1: I never really thought of it that way, but yeah. Yeah. Kinda, yeah. It's
0: crazy. Uh, tell people your, your Instagram and where else to find you.
1: Yeah, you can find me. Uh, I'm very active on Instagram. It's at rich underscore Ayers. That's a Y E R S. Or I have a website too. Um, you, where I have different things, uh, for sale, my art and whatnot. It's rich dot art. Cool. So check it out. And if you like Rich's
0: style and you have a wall that you need to, uh, you want to make bring some beauty to your walls, your fucking boring-ass white walls? <laughs> Get in touch with Rich, and maybe he'll come hang out in your driveway for a while.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no project too big.
0: No project too big. All right, thank you. Thanks. Rich Ayers, it's a former vandal. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Mom, uh, tell people what they can order from the garage.
2: Okay, in our cottage garage, we have lots and lots of T-shirts. Sex at Dawn, Civilized to Death, Vanthropology, Tangentially Speaking, Paleo Modern, and Talking Out of My Ass.
0: (laughs) She didn't like saying that last one.
2: Well, I have the box marked... Thinking out of my ass uh. instead of talking out of my ass. <laughs> Anyhow. And
0: they're on sale. Most of them are on sale.
2: Tangentially speaking, Paleo, Modern, mm-hmm. and Toma, as Toma. we call it, uh-huh. um, are all on sale.
0: So we can clean out the garage.
2: Then we now have some new things added. We've got beer cozies. Or koozies or whatever they're called.
3: Oh,
0: civilized to death. Design. They're all civilized That's right. to death. We have stickers and car decals, right? Yes. Okay.
2: And now we are adding wonderful little wine Tumblers. Tumblers.
0: Insulated stainless steel wine tumblers that were left over from the MoFAS event, the motherfucker awards twenty eighteen. And we're going to be selling those, still working out the price, but I think it's going to be $50 for two. I looked on REI, they're $30 each, so $50 for two. And then we also have bags. Motherfucker Award shopping bags made from recycled plastic, uh, 10 bucks each. Check it out. Those are on MotherfuckerAwards.com, and all the shirts, of course, are on TangentiallySpeaking.com. Anything else you want to say, Mom?
2: They make wonderful Christmas presents.
0: (laughs) There you have it. That's Julie, my mom.
3: He said, baby, what's a big deal? Feel what you want to feel. Say what you want to say. You're going to die one day. For example, I could kiss you just because I want to. What's the difference if you turn away? I'm gonna die one day Why do you waste your time Thinking about your reputation Trying to meet an expectation Wondering what they're gonna say let If you wanna be free, say what you wanna feel Spend the night with me I'm gonna take you up in my arms And if we must go down We'll go singing to the smoke alarms We'll dance into the ground